Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora from inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios, hanging out with you here inside of our Commissioner Central Series. And of course, Cafe Kubal on 3501 James Street, 324 West Water Street, and 401 South Salina Street, all in Syracuse on 343 Fayette Street in Manlius, New York, and of course in their drive through location at the corner of Route 11 and Taft Road at Sweetheart Corners in North Syracuse. So with that being said, our Commissioner Central Series allows us an opportunity to take a look around the entire country when it comes to collegiate athletics and get the thoughts as well as the vision of our leaders from the Commissioner and, exec- and Executive Director Chairs all over the country on their specific conference, as well as the greater questions that are facing collegiate athletics today. And with that being said, I am very honored and privileged to have Noreen Morris here with us this morning as she rejoins the the show from the Northeast Conference, a.k.a. the NEC, and we bring her in. Noreen, how are we doing today? I'm great, Uh, Dan. Thanks very much for having me back. Absolutely. And, And Noreen, I know that you are fresh off of your meetings for the NEC. So how is life and how is the brain this morning? (laughs) Well, we hadn't had an in-person meeting since December of 19. Uh, And so we, we went, we went full, full in and had three days of meetings uh, with our athletic directors our SWAs uh, followed up by uh, our presidents. So it was uh, a packed full three days, um, but great to be back together uh, there's, you know, there's definitely more energy and excitement when you're, you know, in person as opposed to looking at squares on on a, a computer. So it, it was it was great. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to, to give you some updates as we get through this interview. And as you've had this, you know, like you said, first in-person meeting in three years, what was that experience like to sit down? I mean, I can't believe it's been three years, but from 2019 to 2022, what did it mean to you to finally actually get to shake hands, sit down at a table, and address each other from next to each other as well as across the table as opposed to, like you said, looking to looking at a bunch of squares on the screen? Yeah, I, I think being in person, it just allows you to create those relationships um, that can only help when you are having conversations um, about conference-related or national issues. You know, if you don't know somebody that well, it's hard to um, understand where they're coming from, understand their perspective, um, and some people might feel a little more shy talking on Zoom. You can't really read the room and the body language that way. And, And so I think just sitting around a table and socializing, uh, it really does help drive a better meeting and, and more collaboration. Uh, so I, I think it makes a world of difference uh, to be together, and, I, and that showed in, in our meetings. How do you navigate the last three years when you have to have tough conversations or conversations about subjects that can be very touchy during this you know, world of collegiate athletics and, and everything that's been going on when you're discussing the pandemic, when you're discussing whether or not the institutions are going to play and what the conference is going to do moving forward and NIL and the transfer portal, you've had to have a lot of meaty conversations, not in person. So how have you tried to make those as profitable and as progressive as you could? Yeah, with our athletic administrators, we were meeting probably twice a week through the pandemic um, and then slowed it down a little bit this year. But I think that consistency allowed us to, to build a rapport that, you know, Zoom, while not ideal, we were able to get our work done. Um, with the presidents, they didn't meet as often. They were meeting monthly, which is a lot more often than typical. But I, I did a lot more individual reach out with the presidents. So when we had some sticky topics to talk about or some, you know, national issues, I, prior to each meeting, I would just reach out and, and have a call with each of them, go through the, go through the topics, kind of get their initial reaction, find out, you know, what their concerns might be so that when we were together on Zoom, I, you know, I had a better sense of, of the room, so to speak, um, and, and were able to kind of couch my, my discussions and presentations in a way that could address each of their concerns and or positions. Uh, so that, I think that made for a, a, a better meeting. Um, and I'll, you know, I'll continue to do that even as we go into in-person. And, um, you know, I, 
I, I used to do that, but not on every meeting. And it, it just, I just find that the individual conversations with the presidents um, goes a long way. Yeah, you know, the meeting before the meeting to discuss, you know, what's essentially going on instead of just jumping right into it and to really get a pulse for what everybody's thinking and feeling. I, You know, I, I've spoken a lot on the show about the art of leadership, and I think that that is a, a huge piece of being a leader, right, is making sure that you have those individual conversations and you understand where everybody's at before you jump in and say, okay, everybody's on the screen or everybody's sitting at the table together. Let's do this. Let's hear from all these minds. If you know where everybody is kind of at going into the meeting, then, you know, it can help to be more fruitful if you know, okay, these, you know, these presidents are for it. These presidents may be against it. These, you know, these presidents have this question. These presidents feel like they have the answer to this. I think it's great in leadership, and I commend you for that, to understand who they are individually instead of just throwing it to the group and not knowing where, where everybody is at prior to that discussion. Yeah, absolutely. And when we look at this uh, here with Noreen Morris, the NEC commissioner here this morning on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of our Commissioner Central series, the strength and the evolution of the NEC what can you say to both of those, especially within the last, you know, two years and change, the strength of this conference of the NEC and evolution of it as you are one of the conferences that will be bringing in new membership here? Yeah, I think evolution is, is a good good way to frame it. Um, the NEC, I've been here in my 12th year, and we have uh, been through two two sets of the, the conference realignment activity. And, you know, first time around back in 2012, um, I think it was when it first started, uh, after the Big Ten took Nebraska, um, there's, I think every conference except for two or three were impacted by the conference realignment at that time. And I think we're getting close to that number now. So, you know, conference realignment and membership changes is happening across the board. And I think it's just a matter of conferences understanding that membership change in, in many respects is inevitable and to be prepared to manage those changes uh, so we, you know, we have a a membership committee that we, you know, it's it's an active committee. Uh, we continue to to bring them together to just con- look at the landscape, what's happening, um, and try to be proactive in in as as much as possible. There's some, you know, some cases where you can't be as proactive as you would like but in our case you know we've lost a couple members in 13 and and we we built up very well with merrimack when we brought them in and they're in their fourth year of reclassifying from d2 to d1 and they've been extremely successful from an athletic standpoint um an institutional standpoint they continue to grow they're adding academic um programs and so they've been a fantastic addition um, this this past go around with with realignments, um, you know, we had two schools that that decided to to move on to another conference, um, and we have since picked up uh, Stonehill as uh, our newest member. They'll start with us on July first. Also a D two to D one reclassifying member, but who is. It was a great fit for the NEC as we as we did our homework um, when we looked at their institution, the sports they sponsor, their institutional values, um, their academic programming, uh, beautiful campus. They're growing, adding sports. Uh, so it was really a, a win-win uh, for us to to bring in Stonehill. Um, they'll be our we'll have nine members this year with them uh, coming in this, this year. So, you know, it's evolution, is, like I said, is a great word because you just have to uh, react. Um, you have to have a vision as to what you want to be and work together as a conference to ensure the, the strength and the stability as you move forward. So we've done that in the past very successfully and we'll continue to do that. And, you know, and you spoke about that, you know, having to go through realignment, you in your 12th year in the NEC in the Northeast Conference and having to experience this a couple times. And you established the fact that that, I've, that there are, you know, teams that are leaving here. 
uh, Mount St. Mary's leaving to join the MAC, the MAAC, and then Bryant leaving to join the America East, and then obviously having to move some something, you know, some of their pieces into the Big South. How are you handling that exit of Bryant and in Mount St. Mary's, and what can you say about having to navigate through Mount St. Mary's and Bryant leaving, and, and just what they've meant to the NEC? Yeah, they both have been great partners. I mean, Mount St. Mary's is a long-standing 30-plus year member of the NEC. Um, and, um, you know, it, it, it's sad when you have a family member who decides <laughs> to, to leave and join another family member. But, you know, it's an institutional decision. It, it's not an athletics decision at our level. It's, it's how does the institution want to position itself moving forward? Do they feel like they have better opportunities for enrollment or academic alignment or what have you? Um, and so, you know, the institutions will do their due diligence, their evaluation, and if they think they can position themselves in a different way, um, then that's, that's what they do. So I, you can't take it personally uh, when, a, when a school chooses to leave your conference. Um, it's like when you have someone working for you and um, they feel they can grow and have better opportunities professionally by moving on to another job. You have to be happy for them, right? That that you're able to help develop them, and they and they're gonna fly the coop and, and see what else they can do. Um, so, you know, I see it as as a positive, as that the NEC is is a great conference, gave them great opportunities, and and they may want to see if there's something else out there. Um, so, with Bryant, you know, they came up as a reclassifying member. They've been with us almost ten years. As well, will be ten years at the at the end of this year. Um, as a, as a full D1 member in the NEC, and uh, they've been a great partner. And I wish you know both Bryant and the Mount St. Mary's luck in, in what they're doing next. And like I said, we'll pivot, and we've got Stonehill coming in. It's a great uh, addition for us. And you know our our presidents continue to talk about membership and uh, vision and what we might do moving forward. You know, and when you look at this, Noreen, and, and like you said you know, having to navigate through this and it's hard to see a family member go and, 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 and go somewhere else, so to speak. And, you know, seeing that the reclassification, realignment, it's a, it's a normal conversation in today's world. You know, when realignment hit in 2012 in such a massive way and, and felt like it blew a crater into uh, college athletics, then we see Oklahoma and Texas. The interesting thing about Oklahoma and Texas is when they had announced that, it was felt. And I talked to people at all different. I mean, it doesn't matter what division they were in. It didn't matter what conference they were in. They said, we felt that. And and can you speak to that? In that, that two teams leaving the Big 12 for the SEC, starting an earthquake that essentially has continued on because we're seeing this realignment and reclassification and it's not happening all at once. It's a little bit here, a little bit there. A few months later, one school, then two schools, and three. This one leaves, this one stays, this one moves, this one reclassifies. Ever since Oklahoma and Texas, there has been this aftershock that just rumbles the ground and stops. And then a couple months later, it rumbles again. Are you feeling that? Oh, yes. I mean, when Texas and Oklahoma announced... Uh, everybody knew from all the 32 Division One conferences that that would have a trickle-down effect. And it's just a matter of, it's not if, but when it would make its way uh, all the way down uh, the spectrum. So we've, we were, we're there now, obviously. Um, <clears throat> you know, the Texas and Oklahoma wasn't the only thing that created a little bit of havoc um, on conference realignment. Uh, when you look at the FCS level of football with uh, the ASUN and the WAC starting football um, and, and a lot of movement, even before Texas and Oklahoma, where the ASUN and the WAC um, kind of took some members from Endor, <laughs> you know, the OVC and, and the Southland. So there was a, a lot of shakeup there, too. So it wasn't just Texas, Oklahoma, but it was also what was happening at the FCS level that created a lot more movement um, at, at the uh, FCS D1 level. You know, and, and, and seeing that, seeing everything that's that's going on, uh, you, when we talk about not only realignment, but reclassification, you've mentioned, the, you know, those members that have done that, and Mary Mack uh, moving from the NE10, which was Division Two, to the NEC Division One, 
and that she'll take Stonehill here for the 2022-23 academic year and, and athletics moving forward as well. Stonehill also coming from the NE10. What is it about the NE10 Division II Conference that is so enticing to the Northeast Conference that you've taken not one but two schools that you feel fit your model and what you're going for as the NEC with Mary Mack and Stonehill? Uh, the NE10 is a fantastic Division II conference, very competitive programs um, and institutions that in some in some cases, obviously with Merrimack and Stonehill, that um, you know, kind of not mirror the NEC institutions, but they, they bring to the table um, uh, institutional profile that is attractive to our institutions. And, you know, Julie Rupert, who's the commissioner of the NE10, she and I have, have been friends and colleagues for a long time. So, um, you know, while it's it's difficult to go through that process and be the, be the one to say, hey, um, Julie, we might be looking at some of your schools. Um, you know, she, she understands the, the proliferation of, of the reclass of, or sorry, the realignment. Um, and just like our schools might go to different conferences once realignment hits, I think she understands that, you know, that this is just the way it happens, unfortunately. So, um, but, you know, they're a great conference. And, um, and I think their institutions, just like our institutions that, that might leave and go to another conference, they think it's, the best thing for their institution overall, then these D2 schools are looking to reposition themselves and think that D1 is, is the right way to do that. You know, and, and you mentioned any 10 commissioner, Julie Rupert, do you make that phone call? Because I always wondered how, and I'm, and I'm sure commissioners and executive directors around the country handle things differently, but do you make that call? And, and before looking at a Stonehill or a Merrimack, do you call up Julie and say, hey, listen, you know, this is where we're at. We have a couple schools leaving. Just so you know, we are looking at some institutions with the NE10. Do you preface it and make sure that she kind of knows what could be happening? And, and, and is that that kind of call of courtesy or how do you handle that? Yeah, every commissioner handles it different. Every AD handles it different. Um, there's no set way, but the, the way I like to manage the business of conference realignment is to try to be as communicative as possible in a way that can be done confidentially. So with, with Julie, she and I have been our very open lines of communication around conference realignment, starting when Merrimack was interested. And, and, uh, you know, if a school contacts me and wants to talk about realignment, and coming from a D2, I will say, have you talked with Julie if it's the NE10? And if they haven't, I'll say, well, I, I'd rather you tell her that you are having this conversation before we have any more official dialogue. Um, that's kind of, you know, once, if, if we're going to have an official dialogue. So uh, it is a courtesy for me because I'd like others to do the same. Yeah. If they're going to talk to a, someone in my school, I'd like, or my conference, you know, let me know. I'm not going to shout it from the rooftops. I'm not going to try to cut them off at their knees. I just, it's helpful to know so you can plan and you can have a sense and vision wise what, what you might need to think about moving forward. I really do appreciate that. Like you said, you know, if, if a school calls you, that you'll say, hey, have you talked to Julie yet? No, you haven't? Okay. Or whatever commissioner it may be, hey, why don't you talk to them first? And let them know that we're having this conversation before we have any more dialogue. It shows that you have respect. Whether or not you get it back from some places, it shows that, that you have that respect and that you say, hey, be, before you go and do anything, before we have any discourse here, I want to make sure that, that you have disclosed to your current conference what you're doing and, I mean, that might turn some people away. That may, may make some people not want to talk to you. But I appreciate the fact that you handle it the way that you handle it because it says a lot about your character and it also says a lot about your transparency, which I think should hopefully show your men member institutions how you lead as a commissioner. Yeah, I mean, uh, the respect level needs to go both ways. And I think the more that's done behind closed doors and the, the more that's 
you know, you, you're basically, you're being dishonest, right? So I'm, that's not how I, my value system is one that I don't want to lie to people. Yeah. Um, and so if I can do anything I can to, to, to make sure that that doesn't happen. Now, you know, if in this whole college athletics world and realignment, I mean, it, it it's probably hard to, to keep your values as intact as you would like. Um, but I, I try my best. Speaking here with Noreen Morris, the commissioner of the NEC, a.k.a. Northeast Conference, here with us this morning inside of the Commissioner Central Series, where we take a look at the conferences all around the country from their commissioners and executive director chairs and get their thoughts on not only their conference, but the bigger picture. And I know that uh, we spoke about it a little bit off the air, Noreen, but like you said, you have you have a committee that's constantly looking at the potential of new membership and whatnot being connected to, you know, the NE10 in the past with Merrimack and Stonehill. After Stonehill makes that decision, Lemoyne puts out the opportunity for them to at least entertain reclassification and realignment and has somebody put together, you know, kind of all the information that they need. Are you privy to all of that when a team or when a school is looking at the potential of it, whether or not they do it? Because I know Lemoyne, this is the third time that they've looked at it in in recent history. And now, you know, with Bob Beretta, their athletics director, spent 30 plus years at uh, Army at West Point to to gather all the information, to know what they need to know and be prepared for it if a conference were to come calling how privy are you to the teams and the institutions that are looking at looking at it? Because some are kind of putting a feeler out there to say, okay, where are we at? Where do we need to be? What can we do? So to a school like Lemoyne inside of the NE10 or to schools across the country, is your committee kind of keeping an ear to the ground to see what schools are being very serious about the potential move? Uh, yes, yeah, so- we we definitely keep have our ear to the ground and, and utilize um, one of the consultants that works in this space and so there's you know a flow of information as to oh, hey this school's interested uh, they may want to reach out uh, this school is just starting a, a a feasibility study so we have a good sense of the landscape um, and. You know, it, it isn't until I know for sure that we as a conference want to start having that dialogue. You know, I'll, I'll say, OK, well, maybe now is the time for us to have a conversation. So that's when I'll say, have they talked to their conference? What's happening? Where, you know, where are they at in their decision making process? And, you know, each one is different because you have, you know, every, like I said, every AD, every commissioner, every president might have you know, a different timeline, a different set of expectations. So you just have to kind of work through each each example as to how best to proceed and what's the timeline and then what's the communication strategy. When you're looking at a school, do you get your member institute, your full-time member institutions together and address with their, you know, presidents, ADs and whatnot? Do you talk with them prior to and say, hey, here are a list of institutions we're looking at that we think fit the model or how do you do that? Do you reach out to the school you're looking at before and, and then before making a decision? So you reach out to the school, then go to your full-time member institutions and say, this is who we're looking at before you make a decision? Or do you talk to the member institutions that you have already before you even reach out to the potential school? Um, I think it's a combination of things. If, if we're going to be the suitor, so to speak, um, we, we use our membership committee to say, hey, are there some schools that we may want to look at? Um, and if we do, then that's really a membership driven here. Let, let's narrow this down. Let's see if there's any interest. Um, and then on the flip side, if schools contact us, say, you know, I'll, I'll probably do a little research to start and then bring the, the, uh, membership committee together to discuss um, the ultimate decision is is a presidential decision so the presidents are the the ones then who would get a final you know if you get all the way to the point where you're going to extend an invitation uh, that's a more formal process and and it means a you know the presidents have to be informed and approve us moving forward to to going on a site visit or whatever else is involved with with that particular school 
is there an excitement to it for you when you look at new membership and, and you know, obviously going through realignment right now, bringing in Stonehill and, and having Bryant and Mount St. Mary's leaving? When you have two leaving, one coming in, is it very active right now, I guess, is the first part of the question. So are you actively seeking at least another member institution to bring in? And do you as the commissioner, 12 years into being here with the NEC, do you get excited about it? Do you like the the dance, so to speak, and and seeing you know who's going to be at the dance and how they dance, and do you want to dance with them again? I mean, do you get excited about the fact that you know there could be a lot that want to dance with you? And Floyd Little told me a long time ago, you know, you dance with the one that wants to dance with you. So are you act are you actively pursuing someone to dance with, and do you get excited about the goings on of that and getting all dressed up for the dance? Yeah, um, it's a good analogy. Um, oh, so you, the dancing shoes, you know, that uh, I think everyone has their dancing shoes either on or nearby you know, throughout the last couple of years with realignment. Um, you know, I think membership probably since 2012 is a standing agenda item probably on every single commissioner's um, president's agenda, right? Because it's just... It is a fact of life that in college athletics division one that if you if it's not actively happening that you should always be looking to see what's happening around you in the landscape and what what do you need to make yourselves better um or bigger or stronger or whatever it is you're looking for um so i i think that's just a a given that membership is always going to be discussed now how actively it's discussed may depend on um, what's happening around you and, and the conference realignment. So, um, so in, in terms of bringing in new members, uh, yeah, it's absolutely exciting to, to bring in a member who can bring um, something different to the table, whether it's, you know, a different geography, um, a, a different set of uh, teams, uh, the excitement, their excitement about uh becoming a member of the NEC, in particular Stonehill. I mean, they had, we had a kickoff uh, event back in April after we made the announcement, and it was incredible, the amount of energy on campus, student-athletes, faculty, coaches, administrators. Um, you know, everyone was just the energy and the excitement about the move. So that excites you as, as a leader and excites the other members who's like, yes, like, you, like you said, dance with the one who wants to dance with. We got people who really want to be a part of our our, our program and our conference. So uh, it, it is. It definitely brings in in a little bit more energy and excitement. Um, you know, losing losing members obviously doesn't. <laughs> you know, it's it's somewhat of a. Uh, you know, it's you can't take it like I said. You can't take it personally. I said that earlier, but it certainly. Um, you hate to see someone go, right? And 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 the relationship you've built. And you know, I saw Bill Smith, the AD at Bryan, at the baseball championship, and you know, might be the last time I see him in a while. You know, big hugs and like, oh, sorry, you know, like we'll see you down the road somewhere. But you know, it, it's it, it's um it's an emotional ride. Um, but in in this case, it's you end on a high note with Stonehill coming in. Yeah, you know, and, and there's obviously the, the positive of, of that. And like you said, it's hard because like you said, you hug and it's like, hey, sorry, you know, but it, it's it's a very unique world that we live in today where, where there is this, you know, the one thing that's constant is change. So coming through your meetings for the NEC, was that a topic of discussion and is Noreen Morris out there with her dancing shoes on, or are they close by? Yeah, um, yeah I mean, did, did we talk about membership? Yes. Did we talk about where we want to be um, and are there options for us uh, moving forward? Yes. Um, are my dancing shoes on? Um, I would say your dancing shoes are, are always, like, they're slip-ons. You can get them on and off <laughs> whenever you need. <laughs> Fair enough. So, I'm not sure how much more. There's not a lot to, to share, but these are this is the confidentiality piece where you know yeah. if, if you're having dialogue before you have the dialogue with somebody else, like this is I try not to 
to create rumors that are unnecessary. No, I just I I have I we we have the air that it's there, and and obviously as as things come about or don't come about, you know we'll we'll see. But I appreciate the fact that you know you've you've obviously shared with us that the dancing shoes are able to slip on and slip off, and that it has been spoken about as far as membership goes. As you go forward here with Stonehill coming in, how would you define the NEC as far as your full-time member institutions that you have? What are some foundational words that you think fit the NEC? It's a good question. I would say um, collaboration, um, student-athlete support, um, broad-based sports sponsorship um, that we are looking at. You know, we are focused on how athletics plays a role in the broader development of our student-athletes. Uh, and so whatever we can do to support our student-athletes and coaches in a way that at, after their four years or five years, or in some case the super senior six-year COVID kids, um, that they leave their institutions uh, as better people. Um, you know, that could be athletic, you know, a student or an athlete, but generally that they've developed into a, to a better person. So, you know, when I think about all the things we talked about uh, over the last couple of days, we focused a lot of our time and effort on our strategic plan and that plan, um, you know, we, we look at brand awareness, we look at student athlete experience, we look at basketball and DE&I and di- diversity, equity, inclusion. So, you know, we, we are trying to create a, um, and we have, I think, uh, a conference that it works together, collectively creates conference initiatives that will support our student athlete experience um, in a way that it's part of the bigger picture of the institution's mission. That coming here from NEC Commissioner Noreen Morris on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios in our Commissioner Central series. Noreen, thank goodness that beyond the NEC, nothing's gone on. There hasn't been a pandemic. There's no NIL. No worries about that. There's no congressional. Are they getting involved? Are they not getting involved? Government. There's no NCAA telling states that they're going to run NIL with or without the state approving of it. There's no transfer portal. I mean, the last few years for a commissioner, I know that your job is difficult. I know there's moments where you want to pull your hair out. I know there's moments where your dancing shoes have lost the tread on the bottom, and your feet are sore and tired. And here we are today, looking at the grander scheme of things in this Commissioner Central series. We're going to have to break it down piece by piece. But how have you navigated the last couple years dealing with a pandemic, safety, security, equality for all, which has obviously come up in a bigger picture, NIL transfer portal? How does a commissioner eat everything on this plate without passing out first or getting sick to their stomach. Yeah, I won't lie uh, and say that the last two years have been easy. Probably the two most difficult years of of my career. Um, So, you know, every time you turn around, you you kind of get hit with something else much bigger. And and the the hard part is many, uh, many of these national issues are issues that we really don't have any control over the outcome, so to speak. Um, NIL, right? This is a, it's become a I don't, runaway train, some people say, right? Like, but it's, it, there's so many external influences that, that brought us to this point. Um, so we try to control what we can control in our environment. So for NIL, um, we partnered with a company called FanWord. And we, uh, when I say we do a lot of things from a collaborative and collective way, so the conference engaged with FanWord and we um, hired them to, 
to provide education uh, around NIL for our student athletes, as well as a disclosure platform for our for our schools, um, for the, the students to, to report uh, when they are involved in some NIL activities. Um, and because, you know, our level, we have maybe a one-person compliance shop, maybe two. Um, and NIL, nobody really knows a lot about NIL on campuses. Um, and so you would ask maybe a compliance person or you'd have to partner with your law school or try to find somebody on campus that can provide some education. Uh, and so for, you know, to provide our student athletes with that support and frankly to support our administrators, we partnered with FanWord. So they do, um, I think it was nine webinars. They have classes that are online. Uh, they have office hours that, that folks, the students could call and ask questions about certain NLA, you know, opportunities. And um, so it, that's what we've done. We control what we control and we're giving our student athletes um, some education and the opportunity to learn more. And so we've just renewed our, our partnership with FanWord for another year. So we're excited about that. Um, when you talk about the other big picture things that are happening around the NSA with the Constitution Committee and the Transformation Committee, um, we don't have anybody or we didn't have anyone on from the NEC on the Constitution Committee and we don't have anyone on the Transformation Committee. However, um, we do have Lisa Archibald, who was my uh, Associate Commissioner for Compliance and Governance. She's chairing the modern... I can never say this word. Modernized, <laughs> doing it again. Modernization of rules subcommittee. They call it MRS, um, and so she's playing a pivotal role in in some of the work that's being done uh, through and by the transformation committee. I currently sit on the council, represent the NEC, and I'm chairing the strategic vision and planning committee. And so that committee has oversight over membership issues, revenue distribution, uh, not oversight of revenue distribution, but we work with the Division One Finance Committee on that. So I have a, a little bit of hand in some of these things um, that are working their way through the Transformation Committee. So again, the things that we can control, Lisa and I are, are trying to keep our membership updated. We just had Jen Frazier, Managing Director of Division One, come into our meetings and talk to our ADs and SWAs and our presidents and updates around the transformation committee, what's happening, what might be coming our way. So just trying to keep everyone informed and engaged as you go through the system and the process, that's the best you could do. Um, so that at the end of the day, um, while you may not agree with the final outcome, you've been part of the process and you can provide your feedback and understand how you got from point A to point Z. Yeah, you know, and, and, and that's as you go as we go through this transformation process, how ironic, poetic, and interesting do you find it that the NCAA is trying to figure out who they are while realignment and reclassification are going on? I mean, essentially as the NCAA has now the transfer portal and NIL and all these things going on, conferences are trying to find out their identity, student athletes are trying to find out their identity. And the greater NCAA is doing the exact same thing. Is that I, I don't believe in coincidences. So what can you say to the fact that as we are evolving and trying to understand what each conference is going to be, what the rules and the bylaws are going to be, who has the power of what, that the NCAA is saying as an institution with all of these schools involved saying, hey, we don't necessarily know who we are in today's collegiate model, and we're trying to figure that out, too. Yeah, all those things are interacting. I think with the Transformation Committee, there's some conferences making assumptions about um, we need to make these moves and these steps to ensure our success after the transformation is complete. So you see conferences getting bigger. I don't think there's, um, like you said, there's not, that's not a coincidence. Um, and so it's interesting that people are making decisions about membership and or institutional decisions about sports sponsorship or what have you in anticip anticipation of changes that we don't know what those changes will be. 
So <laughs> it is a strange, it's stra- very strange time um, because everyone's trying to position themselves for success, but how do you define success? Because we don't know what the structure is going to look like. We don't know what the membership obligations are going to be. Um, so I don't know how you define success if you don't know what you're measuring success by. Yeah, you know, and, and I love that. You know, it's hard to find success when you don't know what you're measuring success by. What should, And also amidst all this, NCAA President Mark Emmert stepping down. So how should we measure success, Noreen? I know you've just been through a ton of meetings. I know your brain is well taxed with everything that's been going on the last couple of years on top of everything you just have done. But in your opinion, how should we be measuring success as we move forward with collegiate athletics? What would you like the college model to be as we step forward? I think academics should be a primary focus. So I would hope that as we try to redefine Division One, that we don't lose sight of the fact that it is college athletics, meaning they're college students, and we should our main focus should be to graduate our student athletes, and that should be that should drive success. Um, from there, it's then you can start talking about okay. So then, how do you define success based on the athletics piece of it? Is that done by how many sports you sponsor, how much aid you provide, how much mental health resources you have, um, how you get access, and how you compete in NCAA championships? All those things can be measured by success, but if you don't have student athletes who are students um, and graduating, then I, I would think that the whole model is, is, can't be called a success. You know, and you talk about that, the student and student athlete with NIL and the transfer portal with individualism running rampant here with all these deals, some of them balloon to an excessive amount. Of money and then the transfer portal creating what a lot of people call college sport free agency. How how do we keep this student and student athlete even applicable to today's world of of college sports because it's not being talked about a lot and the student side of things really hasn't been the focal point of what you hear on the day to day. So how do we keep the student in student athlete, especially with amateurism and even the notion of that dying away when there's money that can be made in name, image, and likeness, when a player can jump from a team to another, an institution to another like they can if they were playing you know, in the professional world. So how do we keep student in student athlete when the NCAA model looks like it's not there? Great question, uh, and I hope we can find the answer because th- we do have so many new external influences that we haven't had in the last decade, let's say, with the, the transfers and the NIL, and um, you know, you've got some court cases out there talking about whether or not students should be considered employees, so there, there's a, just a lot of uh, factors that make defining what it means to be a student athlete much more difficult um and i you know if you had the answer to that and if i had the answer to that then um you know (laughs) we we should be running the ncaa maybe but um yeah it's a hard one and uh i don't pretend to know all the answers but um you know hopefully some guiding principles can lead us in a way that allows us to get closer to that answer noreen you said if we had those, we should be running it. I don't think we could do any worse than the confusion that is here in this moment. So if you would like to, I would more than be happy to, what is it? What was, I think the, the money was like 3 million a year or something like that. I'll take, I'll take one and a half and give, and you can have one and a half and we can run this thing together if you'd like. Yeah. We'll tag team it. Uh, sure. You can do the, all the PR stuff and, uh, <laughs> 
Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it, it'll be interesting to see um, who eventually uh, becomes the next president because it's it's a job that is um, it's it's a really difficult job and it's right now so externally facing because of all the congressional concerns and nil concerns and legal challenges and it's it's a it's a tough job so it um, i'm i'm waiting with bated breath to see uh you know where we go next should there be a president should it be a committee or a council that oversees where there's a, a check and a balance to this what would you rather see and the second part of this is that Mark Emmert said there is no czar of college football and essentially admitted he has no control over college football. So would you like to see a president or a group of people take over and be the head of the NCAA moving forward? And then second to that, would you like to see them get a hold of college football and not let it kind of be its own entity? Uh, well, I take this second question first and that I don't, College football through the CFP is its own entity, and I I don't see how the, at this point, how the NCAA could, you know, take that under their wing um, unless CFP wanted to do that, right? So it's, I, I think it's a hypothetical question that um, is not realistic at this point. Um, is that, do I see that as a, one of the, challenges for the next NCAA president? Absolutely. Um, because of the fact that the NCAA does not control or get benefit of any of the the CFP uh, revenue. And uh, so that, that it's an interesting model. Um, as far as what I'd like to see, I, I, I don't really see the NCAA being run by a committee. Uh, of people. I think we need one person who can provide the vision um, for and be the mouthpiece, so to speak, for the NCAA. Um, we have lots and lots of committees uh, that, that help run the NCAA. Um, you know, could there be an executive committee that's different than it is now that helps guide and interact with the president or whatever the title would be yes i think we could probably have a more effective executive committee or board of governors or whatever you want to call it um i think that that's a they've been pretty isolated so to speak and uh i think we need a little more transparency um and more sharing of information before as we move through the next the next leader. Coming from NEC Commissioner here with us this morning, Noreen Morris on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios. Noreen, before I let you go here, you know, you talk about transparency and one of the things in speaking with commissioners and executive directors around the country is that not everybody feels like they have a seat at the table. And if they have a seat at the table, some of them feel like they've been muzzled, so to speak. What can we do from here? Do you feel the NEC has a place where they, where your opinion is respected nationally and that you feel like you have a voice? Do you not feel like you have a voice when it comes to the grand scheme of things? What do we do to make sure that everybody sitting at the table gets to eat the same amount of food and actually has an opportunity to kind of put the fork to the glass and say, I have something to say? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a hard question because I see, I see the need for everyone to feel like they, if, if this is an association of, you know, division one, 358 schools, I think right now. Um, and if you're part of a voluntary association, then shouldn't you have access and, uh, and a vote. So we, we all have a vote um, with the council, the current council. It's weighted. But, you know, when you're sitting around the table and you're speaking, everyone has a chance to, to speak their piece um, and provide their 
their position. In the end, you know, my vote might not count as much as the next person sitting next to me. Um, but I feel like I have, from a at least from a council perspective, you, you can you have a, you have a voice. We don't have a president right now in the NEC on the on the board of directors. Well, that is. Um, that's problematic because I then can't engage my presidents in a way where the presidents are leading the discussion. So I find it's it's helpful if a president can lead a discussion because the presidents are probably more apt to listen to each other than to me. <laughs> I'm just saying, like if, if the president is the one leading discussion, they engage um, in a different way. Uh, so I don't have a president who can come in and say, hey, this is what happened at that meeting. Here's the dialogue that we had. So we, we miss the color of each topic. Um, and that's, that's what's missing, the color. So, so we ask, okay, can the NSA provide more detail around the conversation that happened at the meeting? Well, they really can't because whatever they put in writing is going to be deposed at some point in time. Uh, so there's this weird dynamic of, well, if you're not in the room, you don't hear the dialogue. And if you're and you, you, you don't get a lot of detail. So you have to re- rely on others to tell you what happened in the meeting um, in a verbal way. And then, But then I look at, you know, if you had 32 presidents sitting around a table, is that too big? That's what some of the people say, is that you can't have a really good dialogue with 32 people around the table. Um, and, and as a chair of the SVPC, Strategic Vision Planning, it's a small committee. I think we have nine members. And I see the work that we do and how effective we are. And when we come into that room, we're not wearing our conference hat. We're wearing the hat of an SVPC member who's trying to do the best for Division One, generally. And so I think when you have everybody has a seat at the table, you feel like you're representing just your conference yeah, as opposed to the good of the order. And I think that's just the dynamics of if you have a allotted seat for each conference. So, I mean, I've been a strong proponent of trying to, at the presidential level, to provide more access. I don't know what the right answer is because I, I do see the benefit of a smaller group that you're not representing a particular conference that might allow you to take the handcuffs off to vote in a way that you think is right as opposed to vote in the way that you're your own conference colleagues thinks is the way to go. Yeah. You know, and I think just, you know, having, I can understand that, you know, having a smaller committee, but, and not feeling like you're just representing the NEC, but that you're representing a, a multiple a group that, you know, that's, that's important. But, you know, in division one, we have just football alone. We have right. The FBS, the FCS, the division one schools that don't have football and within the FBS, we have the autonomy group of five. And within that, we have the SEC functioning kind of on its own island at times. And then we have the joint alliance of the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the ACC. So there's like the group within the group within the group of the FBS. And then there's the FCS and there's Division One. Just on football alone, how do we corral that, Noreen, that, that essentially the autonomy group, by definition, is self-governing? And I've spoken with commissioners within the autonomy group and said, would you ever consider leaving? And they said, well, it's not out of the realm of possibility. And it's not like we haven't talked about it, but not right now. And that was a few years back. If we have an alliance of three in the autonomy group, the SEC has almost 20 institutions within the autonomy group. The group of five doesn't want to be called the group of five because they think it's a negative moniker. The American Athletics saying that they're a power, but they're being treated like a group sometimes, but they just made the college football playoff. How do we begin to understand just football when I feel like we're in a cafeteria and everybody's trying to sit at a certain table? <laughs> that was a lot. Uh, you're you're right. There's the group and the group and the group and alliances and and uh, I think that's all people trying to position um, in a way that they can again try to guarantee success and in, in whatever that looks like. So. College football certainly is the, a driver in, in much of what we do. And as you mentioned, college football is not governed by the NCAA. Tech, yeah. You know, well, the, the rules are, right, but not the postseason and where all the revenue is. Um, I don't – I wish I had an answer for, for your question because 
it is it's so complex um and there's so many moving parts uh that you know that that's that's the the sixty four thousand dollar question or now it's probably sixty four billion dollar question which is you know how do we manage our business of the ncaa in a structure that's already fragmented but we're trying to all operate under what we call one tent right everybody everyone's under division one tent even though the disparity of of institutions is significant in that tent so and when you say you know should the power five break off and do their own thing and you know it's not against the realm of possibilities but there's pros and cons for that for everybody involved um and so at what point do the the pros outweigh the cons that's not for me to decide that's for them to decide you know but yeah yeah i don't think i really answered your question i probably just talked in circles but no i mean you (laughs) you're i mean we're, we're talking about something that has gotten increasingly increasingly more confusing and we need to find some semblance to this. Here's a question I've never posed before, but Noreen, I, I always love our conversations and I love your transparency. So I'm going to throw this at you because I was thinking about it while you were just answering the previous question. If college football is the thing that breaks us all apart, is college basketball the thing that's found a way to keep us together? Because the NCAA says we don't have control over college football but the men's and women's championships when it comes to college basketball in Division One, are so fruitful. So if, if football is what divides us, is college basketball, even accidentally, what keeps us together as of right now? It's a big part of it, for sure. And, and what's interesting is I think basketball is probably the only sport that we know that every Division One institution sponsors. Mm-hmm. Not everybody sponsors football, and if they do it, it's at different levels. Not everyone sponsors soccer, volleyball, you know, golf, tennis, whatever you name it. So, by virtue of the fact that it's, I think, a requirement that you sponsor basketball to be a D one member, it makes sense to me that we'd say that that could be the one thing that holds us together because it's the only sport that everyone plays. And from there, as we address this uh, really quick here in, in closing. NIL positives and negatives and then transfer portal same thing positives and negatives and obviously we have to tackle them separately because they're big enough on their own but what are the positives and negatives from a commissioner's chair to having student athletes able to make money off of their name image and likeness and what are the positives and negatives of the transfer portal because these are two things that will hit the NEC if they haven't already. Yeah, NIL, I mean, I think student-athletes being able to make money off of their name, image, and likeness, just like their peer, you know, their, their fellow students on campus, I think that's a positive. I think the general concept of allowing students the flexibility to jump into the NLI space if they want is great. Some, some do. Um, in, in a big way. And some are just starting to like dabble in it. Um, I think where we went with collectives and, and, and what's happening around, um, that activity is not what we all anticipated. And when we thought, okay, student athletes can, can, you know, make, make the money. Uh, so I think that's the negative, which is you give an inch, people take a mile and, 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 and they're create people are creative, right? I mean, that's the whole definition of NIL, right? Is that, that you want to be uh, entrepreneurial. And so people are being entrepreneurial um, in a way that we didn't expect. So the negative is how do you try to provide NIL in, in, in what we felt was positive for the student athlete and now a landscape that has created a lot more challenges than we anticipated. And I would probably give the same answer for the transfer situation. So student athletes, regular students can transfer whenever they want. Um, and should student athletes be limited to the transfer opportunity? So over time, and we've had 
since I've been involved in governance with the NCA, I think five different transfer committees named different things, um, trying to figure out how best to manage the transfer space. And, you know, largely driven by legal concerns is where we are now, which is, you know, a lot of flexibility. Um, so that, again, part of our rules are for transfers are trying to focus on the academic piece. So you're able to transfer and play right away as long as you're academically eligible. So keeping, keeping the academic focus to say transferring, if you transfer multiple times, it's going to take you longer and longer to graduate. Yeah. And so you have to understand that. And, and so there's that academic guardrail for the transferring. Um, and then, you know, coaches, people always say coaches can to leave whenever they want. So why can't students do the same? So I think it's a positive that it allows students the flexibility. There's still an academic nexus to it. Um, but are students transferring for the right reasons? Do they understand the intended or unattended outcomes, the transfer portal, you know, the, the data, I don't have it right in front of me, but you know, every, every kid who puts his, his or her name in the portal, there's, they're not, there's not going to be a landing spot for every one of them. Um, and for those who have a scholarship who put their name in the portal, there's a good chance that scholarship is no longer going to be available at the school they currently attend. And therefore, are they, you know, are they giving up an opportunity for the unknown not, and, and then end up in a worse place? And, and I think that's happening quite a bit. Um, but the grass is always greener, right? So you think, oh... I'm, and and kids generally have an elevated sense of how good they are and where they should be playing. <laughs> I mean, there's there's a there's a study out there, and I'm I'm, I'm not even going to give the numbers, but it's a very 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 high percentage, probably in the 90s, of Division One students athletes in the sports of basketball and football who think they're going to go play pro. And 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 it's high percentage in Division Two as well. And so when kids look at it, I'm not getting playing time here, so I want to go and play over there because I think I can play at that level. Um, It's not always a positive outcome. So that's the unintended consequences or the negatives for the transfer portal is is that um, you're making a decision about about leaving a school, not knowing if there's going to be a landing spot. If you're doing it within the rules, right, because you're not supposed to talk to anyone until you put your name in the transfer portal. But if you want to know if you have a spot, are you know there are third parties kind of working behind the scenes, so it's probably created more of a under under the radar recruiting conversations, so as to save the kids from putting their name in the portal if, if there's not a landing spot. So that's a long and rambling answer to your question as as I'm uh, trying to give you some some insight. No, and and listen, I mean it, it is it's difficult and it's extremely. You know, like you said, the amount that are, I call it musical chairs, right? And eventually the music shuts off and there's not going to be enough chairs for everybody. And maybe accidentally that starts to regulate it because we get enough sad stories that, you know, kids turn around and say, maybe, maybe I should wait. And that's my, my final point here. As we go through the NCAA and the transformation committee and figuring out who they are in this new constitution and all this and a new president, are you for the deregulation of this all is a final note here that essentially treating each conference like it's a state and the NCAA is the federal government and they'll get involved if they have to. However, that, you know, each conference can be their own state government, so to speak, which would be be ironic since the NCAA forced NIL on everybody when only nine states at the time had approved it and 41 were trying to figure it out. But if you if there is a deregulation and they say to the NEC, hey, here's going to be our loose interpretation of these laws, but you get to really decide it, is that good or bad? And as a commissioner, what does that do for us if there's 32 islands and the NCAA is there, but the NEC can turn around and say, this is what we're going to do with NIL, this is what we're going to do with the transfer portal, this is how we're going to handle you know, our advisory group, if and when there's another issue with safety and security when it comes to health. What are you, what are your thoughts on deregulation? 
I think there's certain areas where deregulation makes sense um, and gives back the discretion to the conferences or the institutions. Uh, in, in many ways, we're, we're already doing that. You know, scholarships, there's maximums and scholarships, but many of our schools, you know, they might hit a maximum in this sport, but not the other. Um, so I, I think movement away in certain areas, I think it's already happening um, by, by practice. And so I don't think there's, that's a, a big change. Um, you know, I would, I need to talk about safety and health and safety stuff. I think there's got to be some national standards. Um, I don't know, you know, at what point do you go from national to local in that, in that piece? Um, and, you know, whether or not I think it's good to deregulate, I think legally we're going to be forced to do so. So I think it's then trying to figure out how do you navigate a new structure where you have your own, each conference is its own marketplace and you have to figure out how you want to manage it. And then how do you make rules without then getting involved with other conferences, discussions, and then creating a marketplace that is falling under the antitrust laws, right? So it's, we'll have to, you know, every, every conference might have to have their own antitrust lawyer to make sure that you're operating a way that you are not triggering. Uh, antitrust. So that's where it's going to get really complicated. Yeah, it sounds like with everything that's going on, there are a lot of questions, not a lot of answers, but we continue to navigate through this collegiate model and the evolution of it or the, you know, whatever, you know, either it's progressing or it's regressing, but to try and take a look at what we can do to move forward and that coming here from the commissioner of the NEC, the Northeast Conference, Noreen Morris, as they move forward with their full-time members, Central Connecticut, uh, Farley Dickinson, Long Island University, Mary Mack, Sacred Heart, St. Francis, Brooklyn, St. Francis University, Wagner, and Stonehill, who is coming in this year to compete in the 2022-23 academic year and athletic year. And then, of course, the associate members of Duquesne, for football and women's bowling, Fairfield for field hockey, Hobart for men's lacrosse, Howard for many sports, uh, men's soccer, women's soccer, men's and women's swimming, women's lacrosse, and women's golf, Ryder for field hockey, and St. Joseph's for men's lacrosse. As always, Noreen, I appreciate your expertise and your time, and I love the fact that uh, you not only are transparent, like I said before, but you give a lot of time to this Commissioner Central Series here on Wake Up Call, and and I very much appreciate that because time is something that we have and uh, once we give it we can't get it back so thank you for giving your time and thank you thank thank you for all your hard work and your effort and enthusiasm and if in the next few weeks you decide that that million five is good for you to have and you want to give me the other half of it then we're going to throw our names in the hat and uh, see what we can do with the ncaa Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll keep you updated on that. But th- thanks again for uh, for having me on the show. Really enjoyed it. 